It's always a joy to speak with an artist. They think so deeply. Sometimes, though, that can be a problem for the person with the deep thoughts. Our guest today is John DeFore, a musician in Mineola, Texas, who shared with us the last time that his thoughts used to get him in trouble. I thought, what if we are ants kneeling on a piece of straw praying to the giant ant? You know? And uh, I think a lot of questions that atheists ask themselves and, and agnostics ask themselves. So I had to either say my life was full of amazing coincidences or there was God. Well, it just ain't coincidence. Right. You know, so I decided uh, that I was going to believe. Every 10 seconds, World Vision provides clean water to one new person. On Saturday, May 16, people from Dallas-Fort Worth and around the globe will join the world's largest virtual 6K walk for clean water. You can walk or run virtually from your home or neighborhood for an extraordinary cause, bringing clean water to children and their families. With the global spread of COVID-19, access to clean water is more important than ever, so people can wash their hands and protect themselves from this deadly virus, including healthcare workers working on the front lines in rural clinics where resources are scarce. Every $50 registration provides lasting clean water for one person, child, parent, or healthcare worker, so they can wash their hands to prevent the spread of COVID-19. To find out more, go to www.worldvision6k.org. So do you see your uh, teaching is that kind of your ministry, like your dad had a ministry? Mm, like, yes, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I feel like as a good teacher mm-hmm. that I should not prejudice my students. Right. Okay, and I'm not talking about politics or religion. Right. I'm talking about just... I have to be careful what I say. But just I cannot, loving them. And but, oh, absolutely. They're my babies. Right. You know, I, I think of myself as a signpost. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, don't go this way. I went that way. Mm-hmm. doesn't work. Go this way, and it'll be all right. Yeah. That's kind of what I want. Right. But I'm not going to say, don't do this. Right. Because what if somebody had said to, you know who Kurt Cobain is? Nirvana? Yes. What if somebody had said to Kurt, that's lousy music. Don't go that way. You see what I mean? It would have been, that would have been, yeah. Yeah. I I teach all kinds of students. I don't Mm -hmm. just teach country. Uh, I had, I've had two good screamo bands. I call them screamo. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I work with some people with jazz. I work with people uh, doing ballad singing. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of pop. Mm -hmm. uh, Americana. We just do kind of whatever they want to do, bluegrass, country, right. just whatever. You know, uh, I had a particular student, who I will not mention their name, who came and they had decided to write and sing. Uh, what's that? It come from the word, uh, I can't think, I'll think of it in a minute. Uh, they wanted to write this particular kind of music, emo. They, oh, okay. they wanted to do emo. And so there were quite a few songs with 
you know, hanging by a razor blade and blood and all this sad and emotional, you know, angst. And their person that was their guardian or one of their influencing members said, oh, please help me get her out of that and do the country and stuff because the country is so good. And I said, I'm not going to tell her what to do. We just have to go with what she goes. And then she slowly changed over to country and later on did pretty well in it. So. so do you think that the people have like a, a gift or a talent and then your job is to help kind of make that? I don't, I don't like the word talent. Okay. Okay. Uh, they use it a lot. Some people are more advanced than others, a different place in their life. But that doesn't mean somebody can't get there because I've had some people that I thought, well, I never think that, but I'm, you know, I worry about what can I do because this is not happening. And then all of a sudden, it happens. So it depends on, actually, it depends so much on practice. Okay. So much on practice. You know, I analyze, I make suggestions, I make sure that my students know their suggestions. I don't allow them to write down my suggestions usually. Mm. Okay, I want them just to process it and decide for themselves. Right. I used to take art lessons when I was young and did a lot of artwork. And my teacher would come and say, here, no, do this here and this here and this here. Well, then it did help the picture. Right. But I could no longer say, look what I drew. Right. Because that's a lie. Right. So uh, I want them to be able to say, I wrote this. You see what I mean? Right. So uh, I don't tell him what to put. I make suggestions that I feel that, that where there's a hole or something. It turns out that even though John refuses to tell his students what kind of music to make, he works them really hard at whatever they choose. I ask my student to write a song a week, okay. every week. Okay. Uh, I tell them I don't care if it's good or bad, it doesn't matter. Okay. You walk in without a song, you didn't go anywhere. You walk in with a song, you went somewhere. It, okay. If it's if it's terrible, if it is horrible, I don't care. Okay. You wrote a song. Every song you write moves you towards our thing. One of the analogies I use is you're watching a child as he learned to walk. Mm-hmm. You know how they hold on to their parents' fingers? Right. From that moment to the time you look at them and say, get out of my house if you're going to run. Okay. Right. From that time, which one of those steps was worthless and no good. Right. Not one. Right. Every step, the falling steps, the tripping steps, the backward steps, the off-balance steps, all of those are part of the process of learning to do that. So every song you write helps you lean towards writing the correct way. Now, there's a lot of little things we go over as far as metering, rhymes, repeating something too much, covering the same thing in different ways, all kinds of different Mm -hmm. things like that. We, we do those as we go along, but the, the writing every, now, some of my students, I ask for two or three songs a week. If they're serious about this and this is what they want to do, because I tell them, what I tell them is, is right now, how many doctors, I mean, first I say, how hard is it to be a doctor right now if that's what you want to be? And they all agree, it's a lot of work and hard. How about an attorney? Same thing. There are 46,000 attorneys 20-something thousand, I Googled it, 20-something thousand doctors in Texas. Uh, Guess how many successful singer-songwriters? Nobody knows for sure. 
but probably in less than a thousand yeah. that are successful in making financially right. comfortable. You know, so what does that tell you about singer-songwriters? It's hard work. It's hard work. Because it seems like fun. So I just write a song when I feel like it. You know? Uh, most people that you listen to, most every song you ever hear on the radio or one that you love, I mean, it's just an amazing song. Uh, the person has written over at least 100 songs before you hear that one. Right. You know, I tell them, Casey's going to write a bad song in the next two months. Mm -hmm. Now, to be totally honest, when you reach that level, we might not think it's a bad song. Mm -hmm. She's the one that thinks it's a bad song. You won't get to hear it. Right. Okay? Because it's, it, you know, she won't play you the bad songs. We might think it was great, but she didn't. So... Everybody writes bad songs, even the greatest writers. And I'm not saying she's the greatest, but she's a good writer. Everybody writes bad songs, you know, and uh, but we get to hear the good ones. Oh, yeah. You might be wondering who Casey is. John is talking about country singer Casey Musgraves, who has won six Grammy Awards, including the 2019 Best Album of the Year. She was one of his students. So, yeah. like, there's, like, an X factor. There's, like, something that's kind of magic. Yeah. I, I tell my students, one of the things I ask them is I said, okay, today, say you're one of my students, and I would ask you, what if you found out today, 100% guaranteed proof you're never going to be famous and nobody's ever going to make you famous and stuff like that, would you continue to write and play? Almost always, they say yes. But I've been around enough to know if it's whether they do or don't mean yes, you know? And so, uh, but some of them are definitely just hooked on it for life, right. you know? And, do you think some of it's just kind of an outpouring of their heart? Yeah, absolutely. It's art. Right. But here's the funny thing. Take Mr. X over there. He works the job. He has three children. And he does works everything. What does he create? He created his children. That's his creation. That's all his creation. Mm -hmm. For some people, that's more than enough. Right. It's a big deal. But some people want a little bit more. That's what art is about. John's creative spark moves him to make music, beautiful music. The same goes for many of his students, such as Casey Musgraves and Miranda Lambert. But some young artists will walk into a studio with a creative spark that leads them another direction. That's part of the joy in what John does. He gets to interact with all kinds of creatives, even if it's just for a little while. The ones who do stick around, though, take up every waking hour of his life. John has a serious passion for teaching students music. In some ways, maybe, that's even more of an art than his songs. By the end of the week, I've done anywhere from four to ten or twenty songs. Depends on how right. many people needed help. Uh, my student level, I've dropped drastically over the last few years. I used to teach seventy to eighty a week, oh, a uh, half hour at a time, no breaks, and it was That's intense. Well, I was having a good time. I've cut it down to now, so I don't teach many at all. Maybe thirty-eight, forty tops, and uh, it's still a lot of people. Well, not really. Not really. It's, uh, uh, I enjoy it. I just yeah. love it. I'll do this until at least I'm 120. 
and okay. uh, then maybe no, I'll probably won't retire even then. So, yeah. Yeah. that's awesome. So, yeah. what inspires you? Words, besides God and and, and love, obviously, you know, oh, words. I love words. Uh, I did win a, a poetry contest when I was over there, reciting Robert Burns, who's a Scottish poet, uh-huh. but it's got a very heavy brogue, and so instead, where he says when he's describing a mouse. He says, we sleek it, cowering, timorous beastie, which is a timid beast. Uh-huh. Like that. And so I won it over the Scottish kids with their own oh, accents. Wow. Who's your favorite writer? Right now, I have different favorites. Right now, Chris Stapleton. Mm-hmm. He's a great singer and great, but, but his writing is unbelievable. He's got a song called uh, uh, Sticks That Make Thunder. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that song? It's a, a tree on a Civil War battleground. Oh, and it's watching these p- people coming over the hills. Wow. And it talks about their, their colors in the sky, which are flags. It says uh, some were the color of, of winter's day, uh-huh. which is gray. Uh-huh. And then they talk about some more color of night. Uh-huh. And then he says, and then to my great wonder, sticks that make thunder. And so many of them lay still. Wow. Now that's that's art when yeah. you say that. Yeah. You know, and and that's what it would be to a tree, isn't it? Right. He didn't say they died. Right. They lay still, and sticks that make thunder. How would you know what a gun is? Right. You know. Then it talks a little bit later on there about they left the trees, the white trees that don't bend in the breeze, mm. which are the crosses. Right. You know. That's art to me. Yeah. That's that's as pretty as any painting. Yeah. You, know. you kind of have to think about it. It's not like somebody <laughs> no. just writing I, it out. <laughs> one of the guys that that uh, we played together, played the same places a lot in uh, uh, Dallas back in those days, was a guy named Tony Lane. Really neat guy, great friend. And he uh, was a great songwriter. Dixie Chicks did a couple of his, early Dixie Chicks did a couple of his songs, not the new ones. But the, right. And uh, he's one of those lyricists. Uh, he's uh, now a uh, pillar of the songwriting community in Nashville, one of the the big dogs, you know. And uh, he's got lyrics, he's got a song right now that's uh, a beautiful love song, but it doesn't use the word love. Which is one of the assignments I give my songwriting students is to write a song, love song without the word love. And he talks about the he gives several different comparisons between him and the the girl, you know. You're lacing cotton up against my whiskey skin, you know, you, right. you know, and all this stuff. And then he says, I'm I'm a I'm a let's see, I'm a I can't remember something, I'm the dust in the gust of wind that's blowing by, I'm a desert dry. But to my thirsty eyes, you look like rain. Now that's yeah. That just I love that stuff. Yeah. You know, so you know, I'm just I love writing. And that know. does that inspire you to be a better writer mm. and to write more? I love writing. I used to write a lot of songs, but I tell my students, you know, several different assignments. One of them is writing a song from an inanimate object point of view. 
such as Chris Stapleton's right. Tree, but there's quite a few songs out there right. now that are like that. And then one of them is using, writing a song without love as the word, even though it's a love song. There's quite a few songs like that. So just different exercises. Uh, so tell me, what changes have you seen like in society over your life? 25 years ago, 20 years ago, all my students had summer jobs. Okay. Now none have. I asked an 18-year-old straight-A student of mine who's brilliant, really neat young lady. Yesterday, I was tell not yesterday, Tuesday, I was talking to her about that uh, Chris Stapleton song about the blue and the gray. And I said, you know who the blue and the gray were? And she said, no, I don't know who they I said, well, you know the Civil War? And she said, yes. I said, who fought the Civil War? She said, I don't know who fought the Civil War. Brilliant young lady at a good school, but, but the problem. No oh no! But here's the real problem: is for me, when I was in school in the '60s, we were ranked number two in the world in America mm -hmm. as school system. But that was a bad school system, so we really worked to modify it and to better it. So now we're 29th in the world. So what does that tell you? When we were kids, we I don't know about. Uh, I do know about the real young people. Um, I don't know about your generation. We had to memorize right. massive amounts. Right. I can still do all of Hamlet's soliloquy um, to be or not to be. That's a question for and rhyme of the ancient mariner, all this type of stuff. Uh, my students don't have a memory. They work really hard to memorize one song because they don't have to memorize anything. Right. Well, it's a muscle. If you don't use it, it's not going to happen. Uh, so my students are just as smart. Right. They are just as open and ready to learn. Nobody's feeding it. Right. Matter of fact, my homeschool students are probably the smartest. And you know, when you look at children and when you're able to create synapses at a young age Absolutely. of it gets easier for you. I, see, I tell, I tell them that all the time. But, and what, but once they're like, you know, preteen teenagers. Well, they say nowadays that, it's, that the plasticity of the brain is still available in your 60s and 80s. Yes. But they used to like not say that. <laughs> they used to say, well, you see, I, this is my theory. Uh -huh. People say young people learn faster and more. I don't believe that. I think the reason that an adult doesn't learn is, is because of the system of judgment that they've established. And you have so much information in there already. Well, that, but, but see, the brain can take so much more. Yes, that's But true. see, this young lady over here, she hasn't got all the I can'ts or the I'm not good enough or this is not right as much as an adult does. Right. And if you're even younger, you have less of it. Right. You know, by the time you got to be a teenager, I, can't is a, a major staple of my students. Can't, can't. Can't. You know, I can't do that. I can't do that. You know, what in the world do you, you know, you're carrying your limits around and setting up your sign saying, I can't do this, I can't do this. You know, you can do almost anything you want to at a young age if you choose to do it. Right. I tell them, don't use can't, use won't. You know, because who's got the most power those two people over there, one says, oh, I can't do that, and the other says, I won't do that. 
who's the most powerful. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But anyway, uh, I don't know why my nose is just so much. So I'm a, <laughs> not my cat. So, uh, but the student of today is the same student I used to have, but they're not asked to do near as much. Uh, the, the discipline is less. The, uh, uh, sometimes I'm at a loss for words. When you, when you do something, the consequences of your action are less. We cushion their fall. Okay. So that when they get out in the real world and there's no cushion, right. they feel cheated. Right. You know? So so if you go out, uh, for instance, I have a, a relative who ha uh, has a very large school debt. Right. Very, very large school debt. He is not he is not the only guilty party in that. Right. The person that allowed him to have that money at that decision-making level of his life right. is just as much a fault as he is. You know, I don't necessarily believe you should forgive it. He built that. If it's forgiven, he did not learn a lesson from that, sad as that lesson may be. Right. You know? But, uh, you know, you... We've really cheated the young youth of today. Since John invests so much of his time in writing songs with his students, that's where his songwriting energy goes these days. But he still craves writing. With the help of his dad, he found another channel for that creative spark. So now, since I quit writing songs, I was kind of lost for a while. And I was talking to my dad, who was... Our hobbies were our were our love. Guitar is my hobby, but it was also my love. And so, when I go home, I don't want to play that much anymore. You know, right. and uh, so my dad said, "Why don't you write some? You know, since you like it so much." So, back in 2011, I started writing. And you know, computers have word count on them, yes. so I'm at about 230, I think, altogether words that I've written. And I write them with my thumb on my phone. <laughs> I'm yes. thinking, bless his heart, think of how many letters are in 230,000 words. Yes. You know? There but, are a uh, lot. Yeah. But I write a lot of, I started off writing poetry. Okay. Uh, just free free verse. You know, well, I know I had some rhyme, but I mean, I enjoyed it. And after about 300 poems or something like that, I wrote a story, a very short story, 800, 900 words. And, I, and then I did another one, I did another one. And then I thought, well, this is starting to be something I enjoy doing. And what thread could I use to tie them together? So I decided to stage them in different ghost towns. Mm -hmm. That way there's nobody to say, well, this is not right or this is not right. right. Though I do try to be factual in geographical locations or ages or sometimes right. stores that were there and things like that. So. I was thinking, driving from here to Bernie, where my dad and mom were, uh, I passed old houses. And several of them are back in there in the weeds. A couple of them had that front porch where it collapsed and fell down, almost right. like closed off the house. Right. And I thought, I wonder who sat there or stood there 
and looked when the pine was still fresh smelling and the paint was still fresh and said, this is our house. This is our home. How many children were raised there and stuff. So you can take pictures of those houses, but the, there, there could be verbal pictures. So I call my stories uh, Texas Ghost Town Snapshots because it's a verbal snapshot of what may have happened. Right. You know, at that town. So I find towns on the coast and I tie the coast in. I find towns on the Brazos or the Pertinalis and Tamiya. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You so. have a great imagination. Uh, yeah. That's what people say. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, it, it's just a lot of fun. And the stories kind of tell themselves a lot. You know, a yeah. character appeared in my first one named uh, Josiah, a, a, a tenorate preacher doing revivals, tent revivals. I also thought it was fascinating about tent revivals. And with all my experience as a pastor for a father and right. listening to all his stories, right. uh, I did another one later on in the next one of my series is a book uh, and uh, about the same character. And when I did it again, my one of my brothers and two of my friends said, any more with Josiah? And I said, no, just when he pops up. And my brother said, you need to write one with just about Josiah. And I said, I don't want to do that. I like the variety cover everybody. But evidently, that brought it out. So I've got about, I'm working on one just about him now. So I've got about 10 of him learning about but the funny thing is, when he's preaching, uh, he's actually learning more about God in his preaching than he's actually teaching, or as much as, you know. So, so his his path is is learning about God by his own teaching and by dealing with it himself. You know? What would you want your fifteen year old self to know? It's going to be all right. Mm. That's that's what I wanted. It was a it was a scary world. Yeah. Because you didn't know who you were going to be. Right. I knew I I wasn't interested in school. School was boring. You know, just right. you know. Uh, that's what. It's, everything's going to be all right. I know that sounds weird, but you know, it's been a great life. Yeah. Though I didn't know I was going to have that at the time. You know, what would you want to be reminded or remembered for? That I was a nice guy. Okay. I I tried to be kind. Mm-hmm. It's easy not to be. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, you know, people say, "Well, I think of all the people you taught and stuff like that." I don't think about that. I, you know, I I told my wife if I die, mm-hmm. I don't get to say it tell everybody I had a great time. It was a great run. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I love life pretty much all the time. Somebody asked me uh, a while back, they said, every time I ask you how you're doing and you say, great. And you know, how you're doing is directly related to what you judge yourself against. Mm-hmm. You understand what I mean? So what do you judge yourself I have a picture I carry. I don't have it today only because I've been working on my phone, transferring uh, pictures off. I had 3,800 pictures on there, which is not a lot, but it was 
it was a lot of memories, so I was clearing off some of it and then put back. And I have a picture of a young black child, seven or eight years old, huddled over and kneeled. And uh, it's a Pulitzer winning picture, you can see it. And about eight foot away is a buzzard watching the child. So my question is, how is I, uh, how can I, as a child of God, complain when essentially I live in the Garden of Eden? You know? Absolutely. I, so you're so, great. Huh? So you are great. I am fantastic. <laughs> I cannot complain. That's you know? awesome. Yeah, I have a, we bought a nice little house. Well, it's 3,000 square feet, but that's little compared to living in 20,000 for yes. 20 years. So to me, it's small. Yes, yes. Uh, and we got 11 acres out in the country, nice pond where the fish jump. And uh, it's got that beautiful cricket cicada sound oh, yes. at night and yes. music, you know. That is music. It is. The mockingbirds. And oh, the yeah. I, we've got one. I had to look it up. Let me see if it's a Chuck Willow, something else. And he loves to sing, and he does it all night. <laughs> all night. Well, I've, I've decided I can either complain or love it. Right. And so I always just choose to love it. Right. And so now I listen for him. He's been missing a couple of nights, but most of the time he's there, and he goes on and on and on. I guess he's just looking for a girlfriend, you know. Not only is John DeFore passionate about teaching students music, but he loves to teach them about life. He takes his role as a shepherd very seriously, but his joy of knowing that he's fulfilling God's purpose for his life was so obvious as we talked. I think that if you were to cut John, he would bleed creativity. He continues to write songs with his students and write stories for himself. John was kind enough to share an excerpt of his most recent book with us. Josiah's Journeys, Chapter 1, Josiah from Grit. Wore out, fragile. Oh, but he loved it so. It was everything but neat. Full of scraps of paper, some loose pages, lists poking out. The cover was loose and worn thin. His Bible. Comfort. Safety, his Lord's words, real leather bound, the King James translation. His dad worked a whole week to buy this for him. Bought after he went down front at 12 years old and told the Grit Baptist Church he felt the Lord had called him to preach the gospel. His mother and dad weren't surprised with his decision, but they were surprised he didn't tell them it was that Sunday, July the 2nd, 1905. Mama cried. Dad just smiled. Kept his head kind of low. Dad wasn't much for bragging, but you knew he was proud. So many miles, churches, souls, faces, friends, kindred hearts for the Lord, surely blessed more than he deserved. When the Lord used him to win a soul, Josiah always felt that's when his job started. From then on, he prayed for that person by name every day. Old, worn-out lists inside his Bible cover. Praying took a lot longer. Lists and lists and lists of names. Josiah never counted, feared he might succumb to pride. Never married, no children. Twinge of regret, quickly dismissed. 
His time on earth belonged to the Lord. Don't misunderstand, no saint here. Not in this old shack, not on this old porch. Just a worn out old preacher. A mouthpiece for the Lord. His largest battles fought with himself. Doubt hit him hard in his twenties, pretty girls on almost every service. Lust caused many sleepless nights, nights of prayer and struggle. There was mockery, naysayers, jealousy, church doors closed in his face, ugly looks, backs turned. But then there was the good, tears of joy, faces of awe, relief, revelation, peace, forgiveness. God's gift, not Josiah's. Ninety years have gone by, a blessed time, healthy, mostly happy, but not that strong anymore. When it came upon Josiah, he was up and around Amarillo. A premonition, kind of. A feeling, a knowing. Go home. You're through. Your work is done. So he left. Was it tired of walking? Was it the Lord? Or self? Prayer would tell. But Josiah was familiar with the peace and certainty that came with the God's voice. So without question, he walked, hitchhiked, headed for grit. Some stops along the way, folks were always surprised at a 92-year-old walking so far. Last stop, goodbye to Mary Ellen and Todd and the Bethel Chapel and start the last leg. Grit was gone, least of all the folks were. Home place barely standing, but it was. Mary Ellen had packed a buttery biscuits and sausage and some water. Figured that would be enough. Well, Lord, here's Josiah at his earthly home, waiting on his heavenly home. Josiah pulled up an old ladder-back chair and lowered his old bony frame down, held his Bible in his lap, and commenced to start his prayer list for the very last time. All in your time, Lord. All in your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Kava the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and that you will subscribe, download, and share this on your social media pages and with your family and friends. If you find yourself in a desperate place, it is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who have gone before you and shared their stories. They have exemplified the meaning of Kava, learning to wait during difficult times to find an eventual positive outcome. I can't express my gratitude for my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I would not be able to do this without you. For more information, please visit kavathepodcast.com. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.